guests are here. We always pray that whatever God's doing on that day, we pray that guests get a double portion of that. They get double it. So I don't know what you're, where you're at in life, what season you guys are in. Are you guys married together? Married together? So, Father, right now, I just pour blessing on this family right here. <laughs> I, see, I see, like, he's going to remove some clouds. Maybe, I don't know if they're uh, dark clouds that have followed you or if it's keeping you from being able to see. I don't know. I just saw clouds, and I saw him saying he's going to move the clouds from your life. And, and it's, maybe it's nothing you've done, just something, a situation you're in or something. And I just saw him saying there's going to bring clarity. And so, Father, we just pray for blessing over this, over this couple right now. I ask that you bring peace. I saw you come as, as, a, as the Prince of Peace to the situation. Huh. Father, I pray that the deep thing that you're doing now, that, that, that place that they went right now, when we mentioned that you wanted to do something for them, their, their dream, their thought went somewhere. I pray for that thing to manifest in their life, God. I pray for breakthrough. I pray for blessing, strength to them, Father. I ask that you take away the weariness and the tiredness right now. You said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And that you would take that yoke upon yourself, God. I just put, pray for that over them right now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. If you want to, let's see here. See where we're going exactly for sure before I tell you. Open your Bibles or your app <clears throat> to First John three, and then we will also be in Luke eighteen. So First John three, and then Luke eighteen. <clears throat> it's a good season. Amen. Let me feel that like like new things are happening. And we would raise your hand and say that God's done something for you recently that was new. Anyone? I, I'm raising my hand. How many, a few weeks ago, you made a, a list um, in a service for our altar. We felt that the Lord told us to make a list. Um, we're to pray our needs, but he said he would supply our needs. But sometimes we don't pray for the things that he wants us to have. And so we made a, a want list, things that we wanted from God, things that we couldn't purchase with our own money, things we couldn't do with our own effort, and things we couldn't solve with our own wisdom. We needed God. We made a list, and already two or three of the things on my list have already been done, like just, just by just asking him for it. And he's, he told his disciples, up until this point, you haven't asked me for anything, but there will come a time when you ask for anything in my name, and I'll do it for you, for the, for the glory of the Father. And then he told us to ask so that our joy will be made full. So if you haven't made a list, make a list of things, dreams that you have with God. And see what he'll do for you. Amen? Uh, but I've just seen testimony and breakthrough over the last uh, few weeks. Some really cool, interesting things. Um, I, I want to tell you one of them. And uh, like this is, in, this is just me and my boys. We came up here. It was Monday. <clears throat> and they were praying. They said, God, we want... They weren't, we weren't praying. We were talking. We were just having a, a, a conversation inside here in the church. <clears throat> and they were like, we want, we want to see more families, more people in the church. I was like, that's a good thing to feel, son. I want to see more families in the church too. I want, I want as many as God will give us. I'll, whatever he'll give us, I want, right? If it's 50 or if it's 500, I don't, I don't care, but I want whatever he'll give me. If he'll give me more, I want more, right? And so we're just having this conversation. I said, boys, why don't we just ask God right now in the car? Why don't we pray and say, God, you know our heart that we love families and we want to minister to families and we want to see them to be healthy and whole. We're not asking this to build a church and to have attendance records and all that. We're doing it because we, we love people. And this is how we're talking with my kids. And we're praying. And so we go through the prayer, and they both pray with me in the car. And immediately, 
we're leaving to go go to run an errand, and I get a text message from a friend of mine, and she she was saying, uh, God's going to send send uh, people, send families to your church immediately while we were praying. I get this text right after we say amen in the car. And I'm like, boys, what were we just praying about? And they're like, we want to see more families in the church. And I said, did you know that your desire to see more families is a good thing? It's a godly thing to want to see more people in the kingdom? I said, look what I just got. I just got a text message. And Matthias is like, oh, my goodness. How cool is that? We were just praying, and God's like encouraging us, basically. He's like, he's going to be a pastor. I can just tell you right now, Matthias will be a pastor of some kind. And I just thought how cool that was. So we run the errand. We come back to the church. And last week when we were here, uh, two hawks had flown down and taken care of a squirrel. <laughs> you can draw the picture of taking care of in your own mind. But they took care of a squirrel. And so we're watching it. Like, this is really cool. This is nature. We're watching these beautiful red-tailed hawks right here in the lawn kill this squirrel. So we just prayed for God to add families. We just get this text message confirmation of hope, Right? And then we come back into the parking lot, and I'm not kidding you. There are 16 squirrels in the lawn running around, dancing, running up the trees, chasing each other, almost doing backflips. It was like the circus out there for squirrels. And I've never, we've been here almost eight years, I've never seen that many squirrels here. There's always two or three, maybe four. And there was 16 of them, we counted them. And they were playing and twirling and running and chasing each other and having a good old time. And then all of a sudden... There's like eight to ten birds. These mocking birds are playing, and they're actually means. They're usually chasing people. But they're playing, and they're flying all around the property. And it's like all of a sudden there's all this life. And I looked over at it, and I was like, are you kidding me? We just prayed. I said, hey, boys. They're like, this is so cool. Look at the squirrels. I said, what do you think this means, kids? And they're like, Matthias goes, we just prayed that God would send more families to our church. Maybe this is a sign. Like, hey, I was like, you are so smart, Matthias. That's exactly what I was thinking. So guess what I got to do? I got to go to the Bible where it says, and everywhere the river of God went, there was life. On the banks, there was life. In the river, there was all kinds of fish and animals everywhere. And even the, the trees on the banks, their leaves were the healing for the nations. And so I got to tell my kids, see, God cares about what we care about. He loves he loves to astound us, that look on their faces. You know, when your kids are in awe, like wonder, like when you surprise them, I want to look like that when God does these things. I want to feel that way in a heart, like a little kid, like, oh, like you're so shocked. How, like, how did you do that when, they, when someone does a magic trick and the kids are, I want to be that way. Every time God does something, I want to be in awe. I, I got to tell one more because this is fun. These are testimonies just from this week. So the top thing on my list of things I can't do with my own money, my own wisdom, or my own strength. The top thing on my list was revival in our church. I was like, God, I just want revival in my church, and I want revival in me. Revival in church, and I want it in me. So Sunday morning, last Sunday before church, a couple comes in um, from, from off the streets, and never, never seen them before. It's a brother and his sister, and um, I, I didn't know if they were going to ask for money. I didn't know if they had a need. I didn't know what was going on, right? It was before anyone was here but Kyle and I. So they walk in. And they go, hey, we, we need prayer. It's like, okay, good. You came to the right place. We're ready, ready to pray for you. And so they start telling me the story of what's going on in their life. And so I just begin to pray over them. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, are they going to need something? Do I have anything to give them? I'm thinking this, but I'm praying for them, right? So I, I do my prayer, pray over them. I'm laying hands on them. And then they said, hey, while you were praying, God told me to tell you something. I was like, okay, cool. Tell me. They said, God, and he looks me straight in his eyes. His name's Robert. I'll never forget his face. He's a big guy, too. 
he looks me straight in his eyes. He goes, God told me that he's going to send revival to your church. I was like, oh my God, you don't even know. I'm, all of a sudden, everything in my head is going, this is God. This is a God encounter. He's like, God's going to send revival to your church. And people that are hungry and people that need God are going to be the ones that, that come after this. And he said, when they come here, you're going to have something to give them. Your church is going to have something to give them. He goes, and he also told me that you are going to have personal revival. He didn't use those exact words, but he says, your relationship with the Lord is going deeper, but it's going to accelerate and go even deeper. And all I could think about is, God, you even bring strangers in to encourage me that the things on my list, the things that I care about matter to you. If it matters to us, it matters to God. Would you say that with me? If it matters to us, it matters to God. And so I just wanted to encourage you right now that ask the Lord for things. Father, we just, I ask that you would stir up faith. I feel faith in me. I feel faith in the room. I ask that you would stir up even greater faith for us to ask for the impossible, to ask for the, the nations to be saved, God, to ask for our families to come to you, to ask for our boss to be nicer, whatever it is, God. We ask you right now to do something impossible for us. I ask that you would uh, help people in their finances, Lord. Turn it around. I ask that you would give people wisdom on how to make decisions that they have to face right now. We need you, God, and we trust you right now. So stir up the, the gift of faith inside of everyone here. You said you gave every one of us a measure of faith. And so, Father, right now, I ask that you would increase that faith. Stir that faith. In Jesus' name, amen. <sighs> this is just fun. And so now my boys get to go on the journey of God cares about what we care about. And he does little things. And Kyle said, hey, did you make sure they got in a car when they left? They could have been angels. I was like, I don't know. They got in a Dodge. That's what someone told me. They got in a Dodge. So I guess angels drive Dodges, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, they came in and, and it was just a God encounter. So I pray that you have encounters and that the Lord does these little things for you this week, that you have testimonies where it's just a, he cares for you and that you're astonished by it. Amen. All right. Enough of that. <laughs> It's a good day. Father, we ask that you would uh, help the word to find a good place in our hearts. And I ask that you would um, produce great fruit from it, Father. I ask that you would give me clarity that I speak what you want me to speak and nothing more, nothing less. Uh, God, I ask that you would anoint our hearts uh, to receive. I pray that there's a spirit of wisdom and revelation today that we may know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so First uh, John 3 and Luke 18 is where we're going to go. And I want to pick up kind of where the thought that we've been on for the last few weeks on discipleship, but I want to talk about lordship today. I may have talked about some of this before, uh, but I feel like I need to go back into it. There's, I think there's something in this that's going to unlock um, greater revelation, um, greater breakthrough uh, than we've ever seen before, and it comes from lordship. So... Um, I want to say this, that many, let me ask the question, instead of just assuming, let me ask the question. How many of you are facing any kind of tension right now in your life? There's, there's tension. There's, it doesn't have to be bad. I mean, not all tension is bad, but there's, there's tension right now. Like you're, you're facing two choices. Like, you're, man, I need something to happen. Anyone else? Just nod your head, raise your hand. Tension in our lives. Uh, between where I am and where I want to be, that's tension. Um, tension in our family, like, well, we're, maybe we're in debt and we're trying to get out of debt. That's tension that comes to the family. And not all of it's bad. See, some tension comes from, from fighting against God. That's the bad tension. We say boo to that. We don't want the, the tension that comes from rebelling against God. 
Because when we say no to God, and if we rebel against him, then there's going to be a lot of tension in our lives because we're fighting against our nature. We're fighting against who we're supposed to be. But then there's the other tension that comes from pruning, where God's saying, you're fruitful. Good job. Now I'm going to prune you so you're more fruitful. And there's tension that comes from that. And so not all of it's bad, but some of it can be, right? And I just wanted to say that, that when there is tension in our lives, that we should not try to relieve that uh, in our own ways, in our own strength. Let God show us how to, to relieve that. And, you know, sometimes there is a solution that's a shortcut. And we try the shortcut, and what happens when we take shortcuts? We always have to circle back around it and face that same thing again. Because it wasn't God's answer for the time. It wasn't just the final word. We just circumvented what he was really trying to do all along. So when we're in those places of tension... The tendency is to just get out of it. Like, I can't handle the stress of this right now, so I'm just going to get away from it. i got to get away. i got to move somewhere else. I've got to break off a relationship. i got to get a different job, go to a different school. i got to do something. And those things aren't always bad feelings, but the timing really matters. It really matters. We don't ever want to jump ahead of God and go, go before Him, right? And so the tendency when we are in tension, whether it's our, our fault for, for somewhere we've disobeyed God or it's just natural life to have tension, the tendency is to relieve that however we can. Let's get away from this. So don't do that. Don't run. I'm just, just an intro into what we're talking about, okay? The only, the only thing we should do is respond to the voice of the Lord. It's always the best way, right? So let's go to 1 John uh, 3, and let's read this as we get into it. 1 John 3, and let's read 1 through 10. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us. Another translation says lavished upon us. That we would be called children of God, and that is what we are. Everyone say amen to that. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we will be, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him. Thank you. We will be like him, and we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope uh, fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So because of this hope, because we know that we're going to be just like him, what do we do? Purify ourselves. We cleanse ourselves, right? It's a good thing. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness because sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away the sins. Hope again, right? And in him there is no sin. So no one who abides in him sins. And no one has who sins has really seen him or really knows him. Wow. Let's go to verse 7. It says, Little children, make sure that no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. But the Son of God appeared for this purpose. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Would you say that with me? Jesus appeared to destroy the works of the devil. 
So no one who is born of God practices sin because God's seed abides in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. There's a lot there. We could probably just spend a whole time just reading into that. But the, the point of the, of the whole story there is that we have been called children of God now. And we don't know fully what we are, but we know that when we see him face to face one day, every one of us is going to look just like him. How awesome, how awesome is that? Like, how many can look back over your life and when you said yes to the Lord to now, there's been a very big change? And just think, that change is very small compared to the change that's continuing right now in our lives and until the day we see him. Because when we stand before him face to face, we will look just like him. Amen? Last week we talked about discipleship and a little bit the week before, but... um, there's a term called lordship that, that comes into play here in all of these things, that, that the introduction that I've spoken about in the last couple of weeks as well, um, that repentance is required before we make Jesus our Lord, right? Everyone, do you, does everyone believe that, that, that repentance is required? And, and repentance is not a prayer that we pray. You want to help me out today, right? Repentance is not a prayer. It's not a I'm sorry feeling. What is repentance? It's a, it's a lifestyle change. Turning around. Hey, close encounters. <laughs> Repentance is changing the way we think, which completely changes our lifestyle. It means that we look at things the way God looks at it now instead of the way we look at it. And so it requires repentance, because it, and it turns dark to light. Great timing. Thank you. I do my own tricks. <laughs> repentance is the turning of dark, from darkness to light. It's the changing of our thinking from feudal things to life, right? It's, it's the ending of, of sin fruit to righteous fruit. Come on, stay with me, all right? It's when we have really repented, um, Jesus told them, he says, hey, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, when we really repent, there's fruit that we can bring back from it and say, see, here is the proof, the evidence, the facts that prove that I have repented, there's fruit in my life. Whereas before, I had other kinds of fruit. I was angry. I wasn't fun to be around. I, I, I was rebellious or jealous or insecure. All, these fruit, all this fruit that comes from the sin nature, now it gets cut off and we begin to produce different fruit. Amen? Righteous fruit. And that shows that we're the sons and daughters of God when this happens. <clears throat> when I was in Bible school, there was a uh, a, a thing that we had to learn is called Lordship Salvation. And I want to talk about it just for a second as we move, move on through this, this sermon, right? Lordship Salvation is a position that believes that when you receive Christ, uh, your heart is turned from sin, but you also are in submission to Jesus. So it's a turning from something, but it's also a surrender to something, So, yeah, we can cut off our old life and say, God, I don't want to be the person I was before. I don't want to produce the fruit. I'm sorry for the way I lived. I repent of that lifestyle. That's not full repentance. Full repentance is now I begin to live a different, completely different lifestyle that comes from my fruit of being submitted and surrendered to Jesus Christ. Now, when we talked last week about disciples and that it looks like something to be a disciple, 
We can claim to be a Christian. We can claim to be a disciple. But the Bible told us that we will be known by our fruit. And so what causes... What is the thing that causes us to go from, yes, I confess that I know the Lord, to I look like Him? It's lordship. It's submission. It's surrender. Like I can tell in my own life when there's no surrender because I stop producing good fruit. It can even be a specific area of my life. If I stop surrendering to the lordship of Jesus Christ in a specific area of my life, all of a sudden the good fruit that was being produced has stopped all of a sudden. And I can sit and say, well, uh, it's just not the season for the fruit to be produced. Or I can explain it away, but what it really goes down to is somewhere in my heart, I've broken that place of submission to the Lord. Why am I talking about this? Because I, I see in the future right now, a church and people that are producing great fruit. Like when I look at the Bridge Church, when I think of who we are and who we're becoming as a church, I see fruitfulness. I see miracles. I see prophetic declarations. I see signs and wonders. I see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, meekness. I see the fruit of the Spirit as, as being the identifying factors of the Bridge Church, saying they are my disciples because of the fruit they have. And I see that. And I know that, that for us to fully become that, there has to be this really deep surrender in our heart. And I, it, this is a hard, hard topic to really dive into um, because I think if all of us, would, if someone came and said, hey, do you, do you feel like you're surrendered to Christ? Do you feel like Jesus is the Lord of your life? What would we all say? Well, yeah, Jesus is the Lord of my life. But it's beyond a confession. It has to look like something. It has to have this fruit to it. <clears throat> the, the fruit of the kingdom, the fruit of righteousness that comes, that comes through Jesus Christ comes through surrender and submission. See, Jesus in Philippians 2, it, it says that Jesus became who he was as he came to earth, he left heaven, he left all of his authority as God, and he came and became man, right? Everyone still follow me, please follow me, please follow me. He gave that up to become man, and he re-inherited all of that as a man so that you and I could have this inheritance, right? And in Philippians 2, it says this, it says, Jesus did not consider equality with God something that he wanted to grab hold of. So he surrendered himself as a man of submission, even to death on the cross. And because of his submission to the Father and to the Father's plan, God exalted him and gave him a name above every name, that at his name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is the Lord. This is Philippians 2. So how did Jesus... Be, become exalted as this king of kings and lord of lords by being submissive, by being surrendered to his father. And then Philippians 2 tells us to copy Jesus, imitate him, have the same attitude that he had. What was his attitude? He was in submission to his father. The Bible teaches us that he didn't do anything he didn't see his father do. He wouldn't say anything that his father didn't say. 
He would not call on the angels to come and rescue him when he was on the cross because it was his father's plan for him to be on the cross. He wouldn't speak and, and, and defend himself when he's being wrongly accused in front of everyone. He didn't say a word. Why? Because submission to his father's plan was his core value. And because he was in a place of submission, when he told storms to stop, they stopped. I think, come on, man. Every time Jesus would do this miracle, the people would be astonished. They would be like, man, what kind of man is this? that even the winds and the seas obey him? Was it because he was this powerful, mighty ruler? Or was it because he was a submissive man to his father? It was his submission that gave him his authority. It was his submission to his father that, that gave him such power that he could speak to demons and they would tremble. That he would just tell them to stop it and they would stop. Come on, man. That he would walk by a fig tree and curse it to never bear fruit again because it didn't have fruit on it that he would speak to a man named Lazarus and just say come forth and he would be raised from the dead like this is authority and do you know that the Bible says that the things that Jesus did that we would do them and even greater things than these and I know me, when I dream, and I'm like, man, I want to I do miracles like Jesus. I want to I see blind eyes opened. I want to spit in the mud and, and put it on someone's eye and see them healed. I want to do these things. Like, I'm being honest with you right now. I want to see miracles. I want to do them. And I'm like, God, one of these days, you're just going to snap your fingers over Jared, and all of a sudden, I'm going to produce signs and wonders and healings and miracles and all this stuff, right? No. It comes from Submission. It comes from a place of Jesus Christ is complete Lord of my life. I don't do anything that he didn't do. I don't say anything that he wouldn't say. And when we come to that place of surrender and submission, the Bible says, and it teaches us from the beginning to the end, that men and women that surrender their will to the Father are always granted authority and power on the earth. Hello? Bless you, bless you. Lordship, breakthrough. <clears throat> All right, let's let's do this. Let's go to Luke eighteen. See, when we think about lordship. <laughs> Our mind does a lot of weird things. We we are we're processors, and we're we're systems people. We're like, well, if you just give me a list of rules, or if you just tell me what I need to do, then I would just do it. Just give me a list of rules, and I'll go down the checklist, and I'll just do it. And we, we kind of think that way. It just doesn't quite work, does it? Let's go to this story in Luke chapter eighteen, verse eighteen. And let's read this. This is the story of a. It's called the story of the rich young ruler. Verse 18, a ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments? Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I've kept since I was a child. 
So Jesus is saying, you know how to be good? Obey the laws, right? And he's like, well, I've done all those things. Every one of them. I've done them since I was a kid. I've obeyed them my whole life. So when Jesus heard this, he said to him, there's one thing you still lack. Sell all of your possessions and give them to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. But when he heard these things, what happened? He became very sad. (laughs) He was very sad. Why? Because he was rich and he was young. Like He wasn't rich and old. Like He hadn't enjoyed this for a long time and he was old. He was rich and young. Like He just came into all this money. He was like Zuckerberg. He just invented Facebook, and he, was hit, he hit the jackpot. He was one of the most wealthy people on the planet, and he was excited about this. He's like, I've got 50 to 60 years to enjoy my wealth. And he goes to Jesus and says, man, I've, I've, I've got everything. I might as well have eternal life when I die, too. And he's like smart. He's hedging his bets. He's like, what do I need to do? We'll sell everything you have and give it to the poor. <laughs> I can just see his, he was probably excited coming to Jesus, like, hey, this guy can do anything. Hey, what do I need for eternal life? Sell everything. Immediate. Pop the bubble, right? He was, it was done. He was very sad. I don't think very sad probably even describes it very well. Because he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. Now, it doesn't say rich people can't go into heaven. It just says it's difficult. And those who heard this said, then who can be saved? Like, if, if he can't be saved, then who can? And Jesus said, the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. So let's ask a couple of questions as we close this out. Was the rich young ruler a good person? Yeah, he followed the laws of God. He didn't kill. He didn't murder. He didn't steal. He didn't bear false witness. He honored his father and mother. He was obeying the law of Moses. He'd done those things since how long? Since he was a youth, since he was little. So if we were to say, okay, what does it take to be a follower of Christ? What does it take to be a good man, a follower of God? He checked off a lot of things on a list we would make, right? He believed in God. He believed that Jesus, obviously, that was the Son of God. He's talking to him. So he had a lot of things going for him. So if those things are true, (laughs) then why did he still need eternal life? Why was there something missing? What was missing? Because Jesus said said to him specifically, which was probably a shot to the ego, for this young man. He's like, you still lack something. Well, I'm, I'm the richest person around here. And I've obeyed all your rules since I was little. What do you mean I lack something? I don't even know lack. I don't, I don't lack anything. What did he lack? Lordship. Submission. Now, I wanted to drive this home today because this is so important. We can have all the things checked on the box. We can do all the right things outwardly. We can obey the rules. We can stay in our lanes. But that's not what God's looking for. Listen to me. 
God is not looking for you to stay in the lanes and just obey a bunch of rules and check off the checkbox. He wants our heart, period. He wants our heart to be surrendered to him. He wants him. He wants to be the Lord of our life. He wants to be the person that we go to first and last. Hello? This is a big deal. Let's see. There are three foundations on the world right now. Three foundational things, all right? There's the religious foundation. There's the political foundation. And then there's the kingdom of God. If you'll follow Jesus' teaching, he warns, he warns the, the disciples and he warns the Pharisees and all them about the leaven of the, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Well, what he's speaking about and then the leaven of Herod is this the religious foundation, the political foundation, and then the kingdom, how the kingdom is different. Let me just go through this real quick, all right? Stay with me just for a couple more minutes. The religious foundation. This is different than, than the kingdom, Okay. The religious foundation is where God is at the center and he's valued, but he's impersonal and he doesn't do anything. He's powerless. It's a sign. It's an outward sign. There is no presence or relationship in a religious system. Then there's the political system. This is where man is the center and it's humanism is the prevailing culture. So where in the religious system, God is the center, but he's distant. He's far away. The political system, man is in the center. And everything is about man's pleasure and man's goals in life. But then there's a third one. It's the kingdom, right? <clears throat> in the kingdom, God, Jesus Christ, is at the center. He's the king. And he is a foundation. And it's based on lordship. It's not based on anything else. See, when we build on him, the Bible says that he adds no sorrow to it. It's in Proverbs 10.22. It says, The blessing of the Lord makes one rich and adds no sorrow to it. So all three of these systems, the religious, the political, and the kingdom, all three of them want you to do well. Listen, they want you to do well. They want you to prosper. They want you to have fun on the earth. All three of them want you to do well. But only one of them adds no sorrow to the pleasure that comes with it. That's the kingdom of God. Now, just I, I, This may not feel like it, it matters, but it does. When we build on these other systems, it may look the same as, as the kingdom, but it's counterfeit, and it will cost us something. <clears throat> what does this mean? Which foundation are we building on right now? So in lordship, that's the kingdom. But if what I want, if I'm selfish and I desire me and things have to be my way, then I'm building on a political system. If it's religious, then everything that I do is, is meaningless because God's distant and far off. And yeah, I love God, but he's over there and we don't have a relationship. The only one that really matters is the lordship where we put Jesus as the center and we live with him in mind. I can't tell you... I look back and, and I, I don't want to make decisions without asking the Lord. I don't want to buy a car. I don't want to buy a house. I don't want to do this. I don't I want to make any major decisions, even little decisions, without asking the Lord, what do you think about this? Because I don't know what's best for me, but He does. Is this making any sense? I, I, want, to, I want to drive it home with this thought. In um, in 
1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 3. He says, Now concerning the spiritual, I do not want you to be unaware or ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, but you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God can say Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is, a, is Lord except for by the Holy Spirit. I always thought, what does that even mean? All right? I mean, what does it mean? I can't say Jesus is accursed. Well, that word there means anathema. And it's a Greek word, and it means an offering resulting from a vow. And what they would do is they would make a vow before God, an anathema. They would make this vow, and then they would, they would build this little uh, memorial to it, and they would post it on the walls of the temple. They would post it on the, on the walls of, of the tabernacle. And they would, when they would see it, they would remember, oh, I made a vow to God. But God doesn't want to be a vow that we say, oh, I made this vow. I made this commitment to the Lord. There it is. See, I said yes to the Lord over there. He wants it to be alive. He wants it to be a relationship. So that's what it means. You can't say Jesus is a curse. You can't make this vow and just say, oh, I'm, I said yes to the Lord since I was little. I've kept all your laws since I was little. That doesn't mean Jesus is Lord of our life. What he wants from us is, is say Jesus is Lord, which is kyrios, kyrie. It means uh, we belong to him. He's our master. He's our Lord. Do you understand? Like, there's a big difference. Why, why am I talking about this? <laughs> because I feel very strongly, I feel very strongly, that the Lord is convicting the church of being disciples and followers of Christ in name only. But there's no, when we walk out the doors of the church, there's no, there's no reality to it. It doesn't affect and change our behavior. It doesn't affect our hope. It doesn't change the way we live our lives. And I, I'm, not, I'm not preaching this because I think, oh, there's sin in the church in here, and let's deal with it. That's not even why I'm talking about this. I'm talking about it because I want us to, to deepen our surrender to the Lord. Because with surrender comes anointing from God. And I want to see breakthrough. I, w- I want to see our families lifted up from poverty, lifted up from struggle, from, 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 from generational curses. And it comes from lordship. It doesn't come from just saying, oh, I said a prayer. We overvalue um, being free-spirited. We overvalue being a little bit rebellious, the American way, the American attitude. I'll do whatever I want to, whenever I want to. And some of that creeps into our, our, our spiritual walk with the Lord. And, and it, I just wanna, I want it to be a warning. Be careful. Make sure that Jesus is Lord. Don't just say that he is. Really mean it. Make sure. we you spend some time here at the end and, and then this week? And say, is he really Lord? Does this really mean something? Does this affect my life? See, if, if, if saying Jesus is the Lord doesn't change my life and affect me, then he's not Lord. 
Let me just be honest right here. If I just say Jesus is Lord and I am not transformed, then it's nothing. It literally isn't true. It's not true unless there's transformation. <clears throat> last, last Sunday night, Reinhard Bunke spoke at one of, our, uh, one of our meetings for a denomination that we were part of. And uh, if you don't know who Reinhard Bunke is, he's, a, he's an amazing evangelist. Um, he, he's seen himself. How many is it? 40-something, 50 million people saved. Hello? <laughs> I mean, unbelievable. This guy, there are pictures of him in South Africa and around the world. Now he's coming to America where he preaches. And it, as far as you can see are people, and he's preaching the gospel. And these are people giving their heart to the Lord, being healed. You'll see like... Every hundred yards, there's a, a big pole with speakers and a light on it. And then you look down another hundred yards, there's another. And in between that, it just looks like an army of ants. There's just small little people everywhere as far as you can see. And this guy knows the Lord and he preaches the gospel. And, and God told him to go and do a crusade when he first started out. And he didn't have any money, he didn't have any followers. And he rented out this stadium with 10,000 people in it. And, and like just a few people showed up. Literally, and he's like, God, I thought you told me to do this. this when we first got started. God, I thought you told me to do this. And then someone cried out and said that they were being healed in the middle of the meeting. And all of a sudden, miracles started breaking out. And then the next night, there were 10,000. They packed the stadium out. And then they moved up to a bigger stadium. And then the rest is history with this man. I said all that to say this. He stands up, and when he says things, it just sounds different when he says it. Right, Kyle? He'll say, Jesus is Lord. He's from Germany. I don't, he's got a really unique accent. But he'll say, Jesus is Lord. And when he says it, it just sounds different than when I say it. It doesn't mean that mine isn't important. I just want mine to sound like his when I'm done. Because there's something he knows about Jesus. There's such a surrender Someone, he was here recently and uh, at a church, uh, my uncle was involved in this. They were trying to help him get some uh, audio equipment and things for his crusade. And someone said, hey, would you like some video uh, cameras and things like that? And he goes, no, no one needs to see me. They just need to hear Jesus. And I thought, Jesus is Lord to him. It's not about him. He doesn't want to be seen. And I've been thinking that and pondering that. I want to be a follower of Christ. I want to know him as Lord. Yeah, he's my friend. How many say Jesus is your friend? Jesus is your homeboy, right? He is. He's awesome. But he's still king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is. And it just means something different when it's really lived out than when we just say it. Would you close your eyes and want to pray? Father, we... I'm going to say this, Jesus, you're my king. <laughs> you are my Lord. Father, I pray that the issue of lordship will be settled in all of our hearts here. <laughs> I pray that that conviction of that statement becomes reality in all of us where it transforms us makes us look different makes us do life differently 
We ask you, Father, right now to stir this up inside of the bridge that we would learn what lordship means. Would you just pray where you're at? Um, Just make sure that this thing is settled. Make sure he's Lord. Make sure that it really means something. I'd like for you to stand and I want us to pray a prayer together. And when we're done with that, if you want prayer, you want prayer for healing, you want prayer for uh, breakthrough in finances, relationships, whatever, we'll be right here and we want to pray with you. But I want us to pray this together. We're going to pray a prayer of surrender to the Lord, all right? So I'm just going to pray. If if you mean this, just pray it with me where you're at, all right? Um, Jesus, I know you're God's son. And I know that you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I want you to know that I surrender to you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I'm asking you to come sit up on the throne of my heart. Be my master. Teach me submission and surrender. Amen. bless you guys be let's be different let's be transformed people that transforms culture all right 
We bless you. You want prayer? We're here. We want to pray with you. Hang out. Fellowship. Love for you too. And uh, we just bless you right now. Amen.